Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Will you pray with me, please? God, we recognize that all your promises are yes. (laughs) And it awes us, and we are sometimes disbelieving of it because it's so powerful. And yet you explore with us the possibility that we too can be promise keepers, that we too can live our lives with such integrity and such uh, an ability to live out our word, your word, in our lives. We thank you for the stories that you give us We thank you for the miracles, for the parables, for all those things that teach us and lead us, guide us, inspire us to be like you. And so our hearts are wide open, oh God. Holy Spirit, touch us, fill us, help us be mindful of your presence every day in every way. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus, amen. The first automobile, which I didn't know, was built by Carl Benz. That might be familiar to you. And uh, in 1885, in Mannheim, Germany. Last month, in June of 2018, women in Saudi Arabia were finally given the right to drive a car. On May 2nd, in 2018, two girls, ages 10 and 12, appeared in court to testify against a man they said had raped them repeatedly in an orphanage in the Indian city of Hyderabad. Their case was dismissed because rape is not a crime at that time in India, which was a few months ago. And this past month, India is deciding whether to reform that law or not. Activist Tirana Burke is the woman responsible for starting the Me Too movement in 2006, but you may not have heard of it until 2017. Her effort was to start a movement in which women who talk together, if they banded together, could stop sexual harassment in the workplace. The hashtag that represents the social cause in 2017, when Alyssa Milano went on to... uh, Twitter, uh, in support of a friend, Rose McGowan, over allegations of sexual harassment by Harvey Weinstein. In 1966, I was 11 years old, and I made a commitment to go into ministry. I found myself accommodating the language of the Bible. And in my head, long before the Me Too movement, in my head, every time I would read a certain segment, I would say, But that includes me too, right? That's me too. This was before biblical scholars began to understand that you cannot transliterate a certain language. You have to translate a certain language. Word for word oftentimes doesn't mean the same thing. Man was used for all humans in an earlier period because women didn't count. But for those early translators. For many years, women were thought not to have souls, like some think of dogs or cows. 
And all those long years of sweat and study and discernment, and still in 2018, in our country, there are entire denominations that claim a biblical authority that makes women in ministry an abomination. Not just not right, but an abomination. And still not, and still not a Sunday goes by where someone that I greet or meet doesn't stumble over what to call my sermon. Nice speech. Nice presentation. Nice whatever it was. I have always avoiding, avoided, to be quite honest, I'll, may, I'll be confessional today. I've always avoided this self-truth about these scriptures and about what has happened to hit it hard. And, and it's not for fear of opinion, your opinion of me, or for fear of rejection, but I'll be honest with you. I've always avoided these texts and this, my understanding of the text and how they've been used against women with a deep concern that somehow the truth would be dismissed because I have a female's voice. That the truth of what Jesus brought, the truth of what Jesus has to say, somehow Jesus' message of inclusion and justice for all people would fall on deaf ears because people would chalk it up to some sort of self-defense. That, that it would be thought of, well, of course she's going to say that. Of course she's going to think that way. But honestly, I, there's just no way that I cannot speak to it. There's no way that as time goes on and as, as a, a, a microcosmic shift begins to take place that I can't lift up my voice and say, we have to pay attention not to the issue of women specifically, to the issue of the fact that Jesus is a liberator for all people, including me too. Not once have I ever doubted God's call. Not one single time. Even when other people said it was impossible. Not once have I ever doubted that these circumstances for other women alongside of me seeking a voice, not just in ministry, but in every facet of life. I've been around since Neolithic period. <laughs> it's true. Not once did I ever doubt that these circumstances were not of God's making. Not once did I ever doubt that these circumstances were not of God's making or God's plan for all people, but they were of human making. And if they are of human making and not in alignment with God, then I had a responsibility to break these barriers down, to be at least a person with a spoon if I didn't have a hammer. Why? Why did I never doubt? Why did it never occur to me as people were saying, you can't do that. It's wrong. You're an abomination. You're serving Satan, as I was told at one time. Why did I never doubt? Well, this scripture is one of many scriptures that taught me about Jesus. And this scripture is one that said to me, I am worth something. And Jesus has a message to give to me. This is from Mark 5, 21 through 34. After Jesus crossed over by boat, a large crowd met him at the seaside. One of the meeting place leaders named Jairus came. 
When he saw Jesus, he fell to his knees beside him as he begged, My dear daughter is at death's door. Come and lay hands on her so she will get well and live. And Jesus went with him, the whole crowd tagging along, pushing and jostling him. A woman who had suffered a condition of hemorrhaging for 12 years. A long succession of physicians had treated her and treated her badly, taking all her money and leaving her worse off than before, had heard about Jesus. She slipped in from behind and touched his robe. She was thinking to herself, if I can put a finger on his robe, I can get well. And the moment she did it, the flow of blood dried up. She could feel the change and knew her plague was over and done with. At the same moment, Jesus felt energy discharged from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched me? Who touched my robe? And his disciples, uh, somewhat bewildered, said, what are you talking about? With this crowd pushing and jostling you, you're asking who touched me? Dozens have touched you. But he went on asking, looking around to see who had done it. The woman was the only one in the crowd who knew who it was, knowing what had happened, knowing she was the one stepped up in fear and trembling and knelt before him and gave him the whole story. And Jesus said to her, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed, be healed of your plague. The word of the Lord. Well, these are just two stories in a long line of stories that lift up the final curtain of oppression and denial of this final frontier of women and children. Jesus talks about the least of these, which were indeed not the poor, but the women and the children. The ones it will take another 2,000 years to begin to loose from their chains. The woman caught in adultery, you with the rocks in your hands, If you're any cleaner than her, then go ahead, throw the first stone. And they all put him down, and they walked away. A woman weeps her pain at Jesus' feet, and all of the other leaders are outraged at the audacity of this woman to come into their midst and do this. Leave her alone. She's the only one who recognized me and provided some basic hospitality. A woman stands alone at a well, and Jesus says, I will tell you, who I am. I am the living water and the bread of life, the first evangelist. Jesus observes an old woman bent and and poor who makes her way to the offering and drops in her might. See that widow, Jesus says? See her? She has given more than the richest man here today. Mark allows the story of the woman dying from hemorrhage to interrupt this story of of Jairus and his dying daughter. It's as though he says, take a look at these two. Take a look at these two. And what do you see? And I would ask you the same thing. What do you see when you see these two stories? Have you ever thought about it? What do you see? There's a little girl of 12. At that age, she would have already been arranged to be married and may, in fact, be on her way to being married. At 12 is when marriage was consummated in that time and place. A little girl that held no value beyond marriage and beyond 
childbearing, who was not allowed to be seen in public, could never walk down the street or jump over a stream or feel the wind lifting her hair out in the open. Never. Most assume Jesus will accommodate Jairus, not because it's a little girl, but because Jairus is an important man in the village. But Jesus has a different idea. And the same year that this little girl was born, the very same year, the woman began to lose her life pint by pint. She had been suffering from hemorrhages, her lifeblood literally draining out of her for 12 years. The whole time, this little girl is growing. For 12 years, she was considered ritually unclean, unable to mix with other people. People couldn't even sit down where she had been sitting for fear of being unclean. She was untouched and unwelcomed. And this was a future that this little girl was climbing into? Can you see the little girl was already dying into womanhood? This woman had endured much under many physicians. This is a contemporary story, isn't it? You seek and seek and seek an answer by all the specialists, and there is none. She had spent everything that she had, and she was no better. In fact, she was worse. And then the woman had heard about Jesus. She, it doesn't say that she was a woman of great faith. It doesn't say that she fell in love with Jesus. It says she believed that he had power to heal her. That's all. You see, do you also see in this woman and this child that, that, that it wasn't anything that they did for Jesus to make them be healed and well? That it was their need that Jesus accommodated. By Jesus' action, and this is, the, this is what I think is so important about Scripture. Yes, it's interesting how people operate in Scripture. It's interesting to see, and sometimes we see ourselves, and that's valuable. But you know what? We know people. We know ourselves. What we don't know is how Jesus operates, how Jesus responds, what Jesus has to say. And that's what scripture is always pointing towards. So Jesus isn't this scripture isn't necessarily pointing towards this woman who had faith. It's not necessarily pointing towards this father who loved his daughter. It's not pointing towards them. We know people. It's pointing towards Jesus. And what is Jesus' intention? Jesus, by Jesus' action, he stops. He's going to go and heal this daughter who is not yet dead. And he's interrupted by this woman. And it says that Jesus declares their value by those actions. He says they are worth healing in a society that says they have no worth. Do you see already just from that very action and recording that action, they're giving value to these two women, to the least of these. They are more than property. They're, they are more than a barter for land or livestock. And Jesus reveals himself to be truly the Messiah, the Savior for all people. He frees them by his attitude, and he frees them by his actions, and he frees them by his authority. He has the authority to free them, 
He has the authority to say, the way you think about women and the way you think about children and the poor is wrong. And it's not realistic. It's not the way God sees them. Both events, the little girl who has died and the bleeding, bleeding woman, are associations also that make Jesus ritually unclean. Jews are not allowed to be around blood flow. Women were put aside during their monthly stay, and then they had to be ritually purified. They couldn't be touched or, or even in public. Certainly a dead corpse was never to be touched by a Jew. So by these two actions, Jesus is also declaring, nothing is beyond my touch. I don't live for the law. The law was made for humans, not humans made for the law. So that puts Jesus more at odds with the law as interpreted by the spiritual leaders of that time. But it's also, if you look at this, it's a study in contrast. So it's not just about gender as the larger as as a picture of the last frontier, but it's also about social classes. Jairus is a man with a name that people would have recognized in that city, in that town. He was a spiritual leader. The woman is designated only by her disease. She has no name. He's a religious leader, and honestly, she's a walking hazard to ritual impurity. He has the financial resources compelled and implied by his position and by the fact that he has multi-rooms in his house. Isn't that interesting? Just by the fact that Jesus goes to his house and goes into a room outside of the one room to where the young girl is laying indicates that he has wealth. And she's flat broke. She spent all her money trying to be healed, trying to be welcomed, trying to be touched again. It's all gone. So perfect is her resume of disenfranchisement that one might tend to think she was like a, a, a prop for a story, a flat character who exists only passively to somehow receive the surprising reversal of fortunes. But here's the thing that, that we are taught again and again, not just in story but in parable and also in anecdote. It's... It is a remarkable thing that she continues. She continues to go on. She continues to hatch another plot of how to get well, trying again and again. And what occurs to me about this is I think God likes persistent people. I do. I think God likes people who don't give up on the dream that God has placed inside of them, on the passion that God has given them, on the way that they think life could be because of who God is. I mean, think about <clears throat> all the things that, all the ways that Jesus indicates this. The, the um, neighbor at midnight, you know that, that story about the neighbor at midnight keeps knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking, and the guy keeps ignoring and ignoring and keep knocking and knocking. Finally, just out of agitation, he gets up and opens the door, and Jesus says, be like that guy. And all in my head, I'm just thinking my neighbors would call the police. <laughs> 911, crazy lady knocking at my door again. But Jesus says, yeah, be like them. 
Be like that person. Hannah at the temple gates, crying year after year after year after year because she wants a child, begging, pleading until they say, oh, that's a drunk Hannah. She can't be, she's, her lips are moving all the time. She's praying and she's like 90 years old. She's not going to have a baby. And she goes, I want a baby. Please give me a baby. God gives her a baby. She goes, because you gave me a baby, I'm going to give you a baby back to you. What? God likes persistent people. I, I'm convinced of it. Sarah of the barren womb. I'm giving, you a, I'm giving you a child, Abraham, whether you like it or not. Rachel, Leah, Jacob, who wrestles through the night, persistent. I'm not letting you go until you give me a blessing. I'm not going to let you go. God likes persistent people. I'm so glad. My mother says I'm stubborn. I like to think of myself as persistent. <laughs> I am stubborn. I'll dig my feet in if I just if I think that's not right, that's not good, that's not. I will dig my feet in, and I've done it before when it's not a good thing to do it. Um, but there's something about human tenacity that has found a, so a soft spot in the heart of God. Something about it. I just, when I see that soft spot in God for us, it reminds me, I was with my grandchildren this past Fourth uh, of July, and oh my gosh, they're so cute. They're so yummy. They're so delicious. I just want to kiss them all the time and hold them and squeeze them and, and talk to them and be with them. And, and even when they're just being little pistols, you know, just when they're, you know, saying no and squirming and whatever, I just... I have that soft spot inside me for them. And that's how God feels about us. And when we see it in scripture, when God has that soft spot for that, you know, that sinner, David, because David is so honest and saying, I'm just the worst person. And God says, you are a man after my own heart. And God has a soft spot for this persistent woman. And God has a soft spot for the woman who was said to Jesus, please heal my daughter. He goes, I can't give crumbs to the dogs. And she goes, but dogs deserve crumbs. Okay. God loves persistent people. And although the little girl and the woman are a study in contrast, they come from different places. They share a common desperate need that leads them to the same place. They both need Jesus. They are no different than the rest of the world. They need Jesus. And what happens next happens all at once, as it always does in Mark. Mark's favorite word is immediately. Immediately Jesus went from here to here. Immediately this happened. I like that. Not only am I persistent, I am low on waiting for things. So Mark says, let's cut to the chase. Immediately the bleeding stops. Immediately, she feels it in her body. Immediately, Jesus looks around and becomes clear that the parade is over. The parade to Jairus' house is over because something is happening. The power went out at his touch, yet he insists that what has happened. Like some people would look at this and they say, so Jesus' coat was magic. Because we want God to be magical instead of divine. Instead of natural, we want God to be magical and it happened. Poof. That isn't how it happens, and that's not how scripture tells us. It wasn't the coat that had the power. 
Jesus couldn't take the coat off and then the coat itself be like a Harry Potter magic cloak. It was Jesus that had the power. It was Jesus that had the will for that power. And it was Jesus that invited this woman and named her daughter when she came, when he found her. He renamed her and he said, daughter. She was no longer the woman who hemorrhaged for 12 years. She was daughter to Jesus. Jesus stops the show in order to call her daughter and explains that she is well. She is well. And then he says, and all is well. You are well, and all is well. Because you have had faith. Not in the magic robe, but in the fact that Jesus had the authority and the will and the willingness to heal. Faith is the main thing according to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, a child or an adult. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're tall or short or fat or thin. None of it matters. What matters is faith. When the news comes from Jairus' house that the delay on the road has taken its toll and the young girl has died, Jesus assures Jairus, that ultimately there's hope beyond death. This is not the worst thing. You have to have hope for, for everyone who follows this woman's lead, which means having faith. And so they went on. Her 12 years of brokenness have taught her how to trust in something other than herself. She knew that she couldn't heal herself. Jairus knew this little girl couldn't heal herself. They needed help. We can't heal ourselves. You can't heal yourself. You can't do it. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get over whatever is holding you back. You can't just make yourself stop thinking about those things that, that are a curse to you, those things that you regret, those things that haunt you. You can't just make yourself by willpower be different. We need Jesus to heal us to make us whole. Jesus hasn't just healed this little girl and this woman. Jesus has given them a future. Isn't that ultimately what Jesus gives each of us? A future? A, not just a future where we look into the future and we go, well, this is going to be the way it is forever and ever and ever. No, Jesus says every day is a brand new day. Every day there's a new possibility because I'm alive in the world a future that we can live into, a future of hope, a future that moves us towards God. You see, Jesus will come to the innocent and the incapable. And the rest of us are invited to reach out and believe. Me too. My friends, there are many things that are happening in our lives. And we can hang on to them or we can let them go into the heart of God and let God transform them into, what, into the most wonderful things. We've been given every good gift, every good gift to do what needs to be done. Well, today we're celebrating going out. We're celebrating 10 people who have said, uh, it's not the most comfortable place I can think of. It's, there's a lot of things I'm a little bit hesitant about. I might be a little afraid, but 
I know God is there and there's something that we have to do. And there's something that God has for us in the gift of these people who are going to Malawi. And so today, let's stand together. Let's remember that God sends each of us out to another place. Wherever you go, you have God with you. Wherever you go, share God. Share Christ. Be willing. Be able. Be healed. Let's stand together and make our way to the courtyard. <laughs>